Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery, and my bones waste away. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbor, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become broke like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Thanks be to God. And our main scripture lesson, our gospel lesson, as I said, is quite a lot longer than what I had intended originally. So it will be on two slides. Um, for those of you following along at home, it is Mark 10.35 to 11.11. Um, and if anyone who is able to see the screen would like to read this, that would be fantastic. But the one printed in your um, paper documents, your emailed documents, will not quite be accurate. So, I can do it. Okay, Jerry. Thank you. I don't think it's. I don't think it's got all the names that you got stuck with last time you did this. So, <laughs> okay. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, "Teacher." We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, Was it, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism? that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, the Lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be the first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man cannot be served but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. They came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Martinius, son of 
Miamius, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. Then he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Oops, sorry. Try that again. Oops. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a coat tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the coat? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were sh shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Another foray into storytelling. It had been a day like any other, which is to say a day like no other, sitting begging by the side of the road outside of Jericho, a town into which I was not allowed, because to be blind was to be sinful, and no one could risk the contagiousness of that sin. 
it was lonely. But we had our own little community. Me and all of my little fellow outcasts. The ones who were able to see, at least somewhat, would describe the people passing in and out of the city. And I learned to know things from the way that people walked, to sense the vibrations and the sound of their footsteps, to listen to the tones of their conversation. You can learn a lot about people just by listening. And sometimes I felt like I could tell what was going on among the passers-by better than my friends. But I had a better sense of those who were going in and out and who would give to us and who would treat us as though we were not even there. And so I was among the first to really perk up my ears that day that the crowd started to come by. There was a lot of tension in the air, a crackling around us. There was a particular tone that seemed to come. But in the midst of it all, all of the excitement, the buzz, the chatter, the tension, there was a calm. And I asked one of those who was sitting outside the gates who it was at the midst of this crowd, and he told me it was Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet about whom all of the people in and around Jericho had been talking for weeks at this point, the one whom we never really thought we would ever see. I didn't think about it. It was not a considered move on my part. The cry just burst out from me, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My little community of outcasts was pretty startled by the volume. We weren't supposed to be loud. We were supposed to show deference at all times. And yet we all pressed forward in that moment, hopeful. My colleagues were rebuffed. I was silenced by the crowd on the road, chastised. We were reminded of our sinfulness, told to stay away from the master. We were never allowed to forget even in this moment, our status as outsiders. But that pull, that calm presence in the midst of chaos called to me again, and I shouted as though my very life depended on it. Just to be heard. Just to be seen. And for one moment, though that tension remained, the chaos stopped. And a voice said, get up. He's calling you. I threw off my cloak, my protection from all of the flies and the dust and the pebbles that were kicked up there at the side of the road. I needed no guidance, no helping hand from my friends, but ran directly into the presence that I had felt, the presence that was more than calm, that was love and peace and power just radiating out, and the words that seemed only for my ears. What do you want me to do for you? His question stilled the usual words in my throat and opened instead the words of my heart. For he was not asking how much money I needed in my begging for the day, but was speaking directly to my deepest longing, even though I knew he already knew it. And so I said the words 
that I had never imagined saying, Teacher, I want to see. I blinked, and a sea of faces swam into view, blurry, but slowly coming into focus. And in that moment, I left everything behind. I left Jericho, leaping and dancing for joy along the road with the crowd. I didn't always recognize Jesus' face with my new eyes, but I could always feel that radiant calm, that loving presence that moved among us. As we danced, as we walked, I realized that the tension I had felt when the crowd first approached Jericho was still there. And I began to hear the whispers, the actual words of those who walked the road with me, with him. There was anger at two of them in particular, James and John, they said, who had been trying to get more power. There were arguments and bickering over who really deserved power, who'd given up the most, served the most, done the most, who was the greatest, who was the best, who was Jesus' favorite. There was confusion, too, about where exactly we were going, about what was about to happen. There was a sense among the people I traveled with that perhaps we were marching toward Jerusalem to battle the authorities, to overthrow the Romans and Herod's puppet government in a great three-day battle. And as we got closer and closer, that idea seemed to take root and grow and become a unifying force. The conversations in the crowd moved from disagreements over who would have power to a sense that everyone would. All of these people who had so long wanted it. We became not a group going up to celebrate the Passover. We became instead a conquering army, a triumphal army, arrogant and giddy with certain victory. It was easy in the span of just a few miles to get swept up into the excitement. But that calm presence kept bringing me back. I could still see more clearly with my heart than with my new eyes. And I saw him, silent throughout their plans and dreams. There was a certainty about him, too, although it was not the same. His seemed less wrapped up in power and more in grief and loneliness. The conversation that swirled around him did not include him, although I could feel him listening in his subtle shifts of mood, and finally in the way that he stopped, just outside of Jerusalem, as though suddenly resolved. I heard him send his disciples ahead for the colt, and I asked what it meant, not having been raised myself with any sorts of synagogue teachings. I mean, as a blind man, they had never allowed me anywhere close. And some of my neighbors told me that there were prophecies, that Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a donkey that had never been ridden. Even those who had doubted why we were there in the first place now grew excited and called the surrounding residents to bear witness to Messiah, come to lead the people. 
to the one who would save them from the Romans, from the occupation, from all that had oppressed them for generations. And the people came out of their houses, gathering as the disciples returned with the colt. But the busyness around became too much for me, and I had to shut my eyes and rest. And I saw again, in the way that I had for years, not the visions, not the sights, but the tones and the emotion. I felt again the huge discord between Jesus and his followers, felt his resolve there upon the donkey, his presence for once not in this moment but looking ahead. And I opened my eyes to see his own fixed upon the Temple Mount, rising above us. And then finally, almost sorrowfully, upon the grinning, excited disciples, the crowd that was already gathering branches and spreading their garments. He watched them silently during those first chants, Hosanna to the King! Save us, Son of David! And he turned his face back to the temple. And so we entered. I didn't shout or cast branches, but stayed as close to the donkey as possible, looking with my eyes until it became too much, feeling with my heart, the silent man, playing, conquering hero, conceding to the crowd's mockery of the Roman generals, their processions on their grand war horses. His eyes, however, were on his own people. And it was clear to me, even if not to them, that his challenge was not for the Romans, but for those who processed, shouting with their branches. Mine were not the only eyes he hoped to open that day. For sometimes the best way to make someone see is to start by showing them exactly what they expect. It was as though that whole day was some great question to those who followed. Is this the king that you long for? Is this the power that you hope for? To hold a city, to rule a people? Is the power of God the kind that can be imposed in battle? Or is it the power that you saw earlier, that hears the cry of an outcast and responds with mercy? Is it the power that accepts in the one others would reject? Is it the power that sees beyond what eyes behold, loves beyond what hearts imagine, even vulnerably, excessively, willing to look as foolish as a grown man riding a donkey? I looked around at these, these long-time followers, and my heart ached for their victory dreams. For what is the victory of God's presence in such a moment as this? What is the victory of love in the midst of a selfish culture of power and status? What is the victory of vision in the presence of such entrenched blindness? No matter how they tried, they couldn't get me to see their visions of triumph and victory. My first day of sight had left me confused and needing to close my eyes again to be able to see far more clearly. I'd hoped that time would make it easier, but now, with the disciples around me, I wondered if it would. For they had spent so long with Jesus, and yet still could not see. 
but then, perhaps, they'd never thought themselves blind, and could not recognize in themselves the need to have their own eyes opened. As I pondered, Jesus quietly turned and left the temple, leading his very confused disciples back along the Bethany Road, for the procession itself had been the point. That moment had been all he had needed them to see. I didn't know what would happen next. I'm not sure any of us did. Only that this procession, this entry into the city, this challenge to both the powers of the world and the hopes of the people, would be the lens through which everything else would find focus. I caught up with Jesus, and he put his arm around my shoulders and stopped. Long black shadows of the late afternoon pointing to Mount Olivet, Gethsemane in stark relief in the setting sun. In a quiet voice, as the disciples streamed past, bickering again, he said, Bartimaeus, do you see? Yes, teacher, I do.